2: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
0: The Lord is the King of Demolition because only the lord can luo only the lord can demolish the works of the devil one by one this is one work here They're making this man blind and dumb in this chapter 12 and this is what he's doing he's going around one by one taking these demolishing these works as it says in acts 1038 acts 1038 god anointed jesus of nazareth the holy ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing the, all that were oppressed of the devil, God was with them. See, this healing all one by one that were oppressed by the devil, that was the luo work, the demolition of the works of the devil, the one by one. And luo's also been translated melt in 2 Peter 3.10. 2 Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt, with fervent heat, earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So in this verse here, Second Peter 3.10, when the Lord says that the elements shall melt with the fervent heat, that's the word luo. And that describes how the Lord's gonna spoil the house. He's going to destroy, he's gonna melt the works of the devil, melting away the works of the devil. Hallelujah for a destroyer, as the Lord is. And when it comes to the works of the devil, and he's binding them, he's, it's like he's disintegrating the works of the devil one work at a time and that's the work of the Lord to destroy the Luo the works of the devil one by one and now the Lord is thinking about those around him those within earshot of what he's saying he's just thinking about others and he's asked he's thinking about who's on his side in this great work of destroying the works of the devil what he's doing now, in verse 30, he's really thinking about a question, which is hymn number 608, the question of hymn number 608 in our hymnal, which is who is on the Lord's side. He's really thinking this, what what the hymn is saying there. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers, other lives to bring? Who will lead the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who's on the Lord's side, who for him will go? By thy call of mercy, by thy grace divine, We're on the Lord's side, Savior, we're thine. Fierce may be the conflict, strong may be the foe, but the king's own army none can overthrow. Round his standard ranging, victory is secure, for his truth unchanging makes the triumph sure. Joyfully enlisting by thy grace divine, we're on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. A stanza that's not in our hymnal, unfortunately. I don't know why it's not in our hymnal, but anyway, it's just not there chosen to be soldiers in an alien land, chosen, called, and faithful for our captain's ban. In the service royal, let us not grow cold. Let us be right, loyal, noble, true, and bold. Master, wilt thou keep us by thy grace divine, always on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine. The words of that hymn, they really capture very well what the Lord is thinking in verse 30 here when he said, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So when he says this in verse 30, he's really asking the question, who's on the Lord's side? He's really asking the question, who will face the foe with me? He's asking the question, who will join with me in seeing Satan bound? Who will join with me in seeing Satan's goods spoiled? Who will join with me in seeing Satan's house spoiled? Who will join with me in this process of luo, destroying the works of the devil? And so specifically, the Lord said that the process of luo, destroying the works of the devil, is what he calls in verse 30, gathering. It's a process of gathering, the work of gathering gathering for us has all to do with obeying his command in uh, Matthew 28, 18, Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the earth. End of the world. So the work of gathering is the work of seeing souls saved. It's gathered in, as he describes in, in Matthew 24, 31. Matthew 24, 1. Then he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the end of the heaven to the other. This is the question in verse 30, that the Lord is posing, in essence, he's saying, Who's on the Lord's side in gathering lost souls by preaching the gospel? Now, he anticipates that some might say to his question in verse 30, With him, like the hymn, in facing the foe, with him in the fierce may be the conflict and strong may be the foe, I think I'll have lunch instead. And, you know, with him, I'll just leave all that to the zealots, to the one. You just count me out of that conflict, you know, facing the foe stuff. I don't need to face the foe. I don't need that crown in heaven for facing the foe. That's okay. You know, leave it to the evangelists, leave it to the preachers. It's just not my gift. My gift is to have lunch instead, you know. I'm just not with them in all this gathering and the fighting and the conflict and the facing the foe stuff. I'd rather be, as another hymn puts it, carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease. That sounds nice. (laughs) I'm just happy to let others fight to win the prize and sail through bloody seas. I don't wanna be a soldier of the cross. Thank you very much. And so those thoughts are exactly what the Lord has in mind and is anticipating when he says in verse 30, he that is not with me is actually against me. And he that scattereth not with me is actually scattering abroad. It's a very serious statement. The Lord is saying there, if a person does not gather with me, then that person is working against me and scattering abroad. If a person is not, hymn number 612 puts it, if a person is not a soldier of the cross, then he's a soldier of Satan. And if he's not a follower of the lamb, then he's a follower of the devil. And this is what the Lord is saying in verse 30. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground in this battle. It's either be with the Lord and actively work to gather souls to be saved from sins or be against the Lord and actively work to scatter souls to die in their sins. It's either all for Jesus, all out for Jesus, work with him in his work of seeing Satan bound of spoiling his house by gathering in lost souls to be saved, or it's all out for Satan and work with him in his work of destroying souls by seeing them float comfortably into an eternal hell of pain and suffering. And the sad truth about all this is, is that those who are not all out for Jesus and working with him to gather in the lost souls, they're not even aware that they're working for the devil against Christ in scattering lost souls, leading them to be cast into hell. And that's also the work of the devil to trick people into thinking that there really is a middle ground. That being with Christ is a middle ground right in the middle of working with Christ in gathering lost souls to heaven or being against Christ and scattering lost souls. The devil's trick is to get people to think that somehow there's something in the middle. And that's the devil's work to make people think that there's a safe middle ground of non-involvement when it comes to gathering lost souls into heaven. See verse 30 the Lord's making it crystal clear no middle ground it doesn't exist in this battle. there's just two armies. there's the army of the Lord gathering souls and then there's the army of Satan scattering souls and everyone is conscripted whether they realize it or not into one or the other into these two armies. if a Lord if a person has not put himself into the army of the Lord, he's conscripted into the army of Satan because the war for souls is in full force and Ecclesiastes 8:8 8, 8, Ecclesiastes 8:8 8, 8 says there is no discharge in that war Ecclesiastes 8:8 8, 8, there is no discharge in that war so really verse 30 is a call to enlist in the in the Lord's side and say and say another song in our hymnal, 620 620 I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot in the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. So considering what's at stake here, which is another hymn. I love hymns in case you haven't noticed. Which is another hymn, 194. One little phrase from hymn 194, which is the gain of man's soul or his loss. See, those are the stakes. The gain of man's soul or his loss, and the stakes are so high, there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And so to be passive over those stakes, you know, and say, oh, I don't care, you know, gain of man's soul or his loss, I'd rather have lunch instead." anyway. To be passive is in essence to be passively aggressive in being against the Lord. And this is what the Lord is saying in verse 30, that the passive in the stakes of the gain of man's soul or his loss. When people are passive, they're not even aware that they're actually against Christ. They're not even aware that with the passivity, they've already been ensnared by the devil to be with their passivity against Christ. And that's what he's saying in verse 30. And now the Lord turns, now he's on a roll. The Lord's on a roll. And so now he turns in to address the Pharisees in verse 24, when the Pharisees said, I should say, to address what the Pharisees said, in verse 24, when he says, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Now, that was a very serious statement that they said, and the Lord's not gonna let that slide. He's not gonna let that statement go unaddressed. He's actually uh going to cover it a, a little bit uh later this whole issue of whether statements like that can just forget it you know just can go unaddressed he'll cover that address a little bit later but right now he's laser focused on what they said in verse 24 this fellow doth not cast out devils by the bales about prince of the devils and so he addresses what they said in two verses which are verses 31 and 32 and the address is, "I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven unto him. But whosoever speaketh the word against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven it, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So the Lord says in these two verses that there is a sin." a particular sin, a special sin called blasphemy against the Holy Ghost or speaking against the Holy Ghost that is the ultimate danger of the unforgivable sin. Now, many people worry about what this unforgivable blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, and various explanations have been given, and some people say that, whoa, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is somehow not accepting Christ as Savior in life. But the Lord did not intend for there to be any mystery about what this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. In fact, he made it very clear from the context of what it is. So the Lord has divided what the Pharisees have said into two distinct offensive statements. The first offensive statement is what he calls in verse 32, verse 32, A word against the Son of Man. And to that first offensive statement that they made in verse 24, the Lord says in verse 32, Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, provided they repent, of course. The second offensive statement is what the Lord calls in verse 32, Whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost. And to that offensive statement, the Lord says, In verse 32, whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Even with repentance is the implication. So what the Pharisees have said are two offensive statements. One is against the Son of Man, one is against the Lord Jesus, the other is against the Holy Spirit. The Lord said that the as far as the offensive statement goes up against himself, against the Son of Man, against the Jesus, it's forgivable. But the other offensive statement against the Holy Spirit is not forgivable. Now, the offensive statement against the Lord Jesus is when they called him in verse 24, this fellow. That's offensive. Call him this fellow is nothing, is saying he's nothing more than a man, just a man. He's not God, he's not a prophet, he's not a rabbi, he's not a master, he's just this fellow. That's offensive. That's offensive statement against the Lord Jesus. He said, that's forgivable. But the offensive statement against the Holy Spirit was the second part of what they said in verse 24. He cast out devil, devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Well, the truth was in verse 28, he cast out devils by the Spirit of God. So they said he cast out devils by Satan. But he said, no, the truth is I cast out the devil by the Spirit of God. So the offensive statement against the Holy Spirit was very simply to call, to call the Spirit of God, verse 24, Beelzebub, or Satan, the prince of the devils. So the offensive statement against the Holy Spirit was to call the Holy Spirit Satan. That's all. That's what it was, to call the Holy Spirit Satan. That sin is not forgivable. That sin is not forgivable. Here's the problem with sin in general. Sin does not sit still. Sin keeps moving, it keeps progressing, it getting worse and worse, like it says in Hosea 13.2, Hosea 13.2. Now they sin more and more. So sin progresses. No matter what the sin is, repentance can be forgiven, provided that sin does not progress onto the dangerous ground of what the Lord is referring to in verse 31. Verse 31, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men, which is to call the Holy Ghost Satan, that's what it is. To call the Holy Spirit Satan is to commit moral suicide. And the Lord made it very clear that there would never be forgiveness for calling the Holy Spirit Satan, when he said in verse 32, whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor in the world to come. And when the Lord says, neither in this world nor in the world to come, he's just emphasizing there would never be forgiveness for calling the Holy Spirit Satan. The world to come might be considered the world after death or the new heavens, the new earth, it doesn't matter. In either case, there would never be forgiveness for calling the Holy Spirit Satan. Now, the Bible's clear that there is no forgiveness for sins after death, as can be seen by the rich man who lifted up his eyes in hell when he died and he repented and really wanted forgiveness as he cried out to Abraham with repentance and then Abraham responded back to him in Luke 16, 26, Luke 16, 26, Abraham said, beside this, beside all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. So the Lord called the work to bring men forgiveness a work of daytime. He called it the work of what you can do in the daytime in life. But he said when nighttime comes of death, there's no more work of bringing forgiveness to men. He said that in John 9, 4. John 9, 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night cometh when no man can work. The Bible's very clear that only during a person's lifetime can they receive forgiveness of sins because after death, it says it's judgment. That's the next thing that happens in Hebrews nine twenty seven. Hebrews nine twenty seven. it's appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. Now the Lord now goes on to talk about the, what's the problem that's causing this progression of sin, getting dangerously close to the ground of the unforgivable sin. And what's the solution? So he says in verse 33, Verse 33, either you make the tree good and its fruit good, or else you make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, the tree's known by its fruit. So the problem is what the Lord calls a corrupt tree. Literally in the Greek, that means a rotten tree, as in dirty, rotten, sinnered. Now, is it the Pharisees, he's saying that, that, he's calling what the Pharisees said, corrupt fruit or rotten fruit, and the solution to the problem of the rotten tree is producing the, the rotten fruit, or the offensive words, is he says in verse 33, just make the tree good, and then its fruit will be good. Make the tree good. That's an amazing statement. Make the tree good. Now, normally you cannot make a tree non-rotten. A tree that's rotten is rotten. You know, recently I had a palm tree where the top branches of the palm tree were, were falling off, and so. It, we tried everything to try to make the tree come back to life, water, nourishment. But after a while, it became obvious that the tree is not gonna survive. So we cut the twalm tree down. We cut it down, first of all, to about four feet off the ground. And it was shocking. You looked inside, it was all rotted out. There was nothing there. It was just it looked nice on the outside. It looked okay. The outside surface of the tree looked okay. But when you got into the core, you thought, oh, you... This tree was rotten. It was a rotten tree. Can't make it good. But the Lord says in verse thirty-three, "Make the tree not rotten. Make the tree, make the rotten tree good, and his fruit good." So the Lord is saying here that each person makes their own decision for his own life, which is viewed like a tree. When he says, "Make the tree good and his fruit tree," which is the reason that the Lord told Nicodemus in John 3, 7, John 3, 7, you, he said to uh, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, whether or not Nicodemus would be born again depended on Nicodemus. That's why he said you must be born again. It was Nicodemus' decision alone whether or not he would be born again. All he had to do was just come to the Lord confessing that he was a dirty, rotten sinner and rely on the Lord to make him born again, because the Lord said in john six thirty seven john six thirty seven him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out, and that's the way to make the tree good in verse thirty three and it it's fruit good it means a person has to be born again, and that will cure the problem of the sinning more and more from the rotten tree of the offensive words of the inching closer and closer to the dangerous ground of the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the holy ghost and this is very rare. People don't usually do that, you know, call the Holy Spirit Satan. They say a lot of terrible things about Christ, but they, anyway. Now, the Lord addresses the Pharisees directly, and he addresses them like John the Baptist addressed them in verse 34 when the Lord said, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? Out of the mouth, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh.